So we are in the middle of our series called Trials, and perhaps you have found yourself in the middle of a trial. Uh, perhaps you, you know, you take a look at your finances, or you take a look at your relationships, or your health, um, your job, whatever it may be, and you can identify with some of the things we've been talking about over the last several sessions because you feel like you are in the middle of a trial. And we have given you some thoughts to think about so far. In fact, in the first session, we talked about... Um, um, Pastor Daryl shared um, a message entitled Prison Break, and he uh, we looked at how God delivered Peter out of the prison, and the way he did that was uh, pretty spectacular and um, miraculous, even to the point where the people didn't believe how God had worked and delivered them. Um, and then I shared a message called Beatdown, where we were looking at Paul, and they, uh, he and a few others were on a missionary exploit in the towns of Iconium and Lystra. And in Lystra is where he in, experienced a time when he was literally stoned to death for his faith. They drug him out of town, assuming him dead. And uh, we see how the the boldness and the strength and the resolve of Paul, not only got, did God touch him and he didn't die that day, but he walked back into town and he returned there many times. In fact, the story we're going to look at today will find itself in this same town of Lystra again. Um, but um, And last week, we shared, um, John Horger shared um, a message titled Mutilation and took a look at how um, really the gospel had been mutilated as they were sorting through the details as to what was going to be expected of a Gentile um, coming to faith. And would the Jewish rules be uh, laid on top of those, those Gentile believers? And they sorted through that. Um, and well, today we're entitling the message Equipped to be Whipped equipped to be whipped. And in Acts chapter 16, we're going to find um, God, um, a, a really powerful day when three different people have an encounter with Christ and they move forward in their lives, we assume, um, with this faith that saved them and that gave them a relationship with Christ. And, and we're going to look at these different episodes and we're going to find how God took Paul and his Team, which included Silas and Timothy and some others, through quite um, a, a lot of challenging moments, trials, um, while this day unfolds. Um, we're going to find that they stumble into trouble, not something they were looking for, not something they really created, but um, trouble came their way. And we're going to find that this team um, really handled the trial like champs. Now, uh, my first observation as we look at Acts chapter 16 is this observation, is that God wants to remove ministry barriers. God wants to remove ministry barriers. Um, and, and this first part of scripture that we're going to look at didn't happen in the day that the rest of the chapter is going to talk about. However, it really sheds a light on the preparation, the mindset, the heart of these um, leaders of the church and these followers of Christ. So let's take a look. We're going to read the first three verses. Acts 1, I'm sorry, Acts 16 verse 1 says, then he came to Derby and Lystra, there's that town again, Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a, uh, of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. So stop right there. This was a guy, Timothy, who had a Jewish mother and a Gentile father. 
He was well spoken of by the brethren who were at Lystra and Iconium. So he's a well-respected young man. Paul wanted to have him go on with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in that region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. So what we find here, if you will recall, the last couple weeks we've been talking about this, um, even in our previous um, series, the first part of the book of Acts, God went to pretty big length to make it clear that you did not need to be circumcised to have a relationship with him. That this was an Old Testament practice to help us understand our relationship with God, understand being set apart, understand being vulnerable before God. There's a lot of reasons for circumcision, even physical um, reasons for circumcision. And, and even last week, we, we they talked about, we're not going to lay the burden of circumcision on these new Gentile believers. But here we find Paul deciding that with his friend Timothy, his new friend Timothy, who was going to go do ministry with him, that he thought it was important for him to be circumcised. It's very interesting, isn't it, that they've just established that this was not something they were going to put on the Gentile believers. But Paul pulls aside Timothy and actually performs this surgical procedure on Timothy so that he could do ministry. Now, sometimes, friends, we have got to tear down barriers that get in the way of ministry. Sometimes we've got to look at things from the perspective of those who God is bringing our way. And we minister in such a way that the barriers that are there, the natural barriers, the relational barriers, the resistance that's there to the gospel is tore down as much as possible. And what would have what would have happened is if Timothy is going along in ministry with Paul and Barnabas and these other leaders, is that Jewish people would not have accepted his ministry. Um, they would have said, no, he's a, he's a Gentile. We, we can't listen to him. And Paul decided to not only just like say, oh, no, he's with me, but actually go through with a surgical procedure for the sake of tearing down barriers so that Timothy could be heard by the Jewish people who God was trying to reach. Um, isn't that pretty powerful? Um, I want for you to think for a moment, what are ways that you need to look at the circumstances, the perspective of the people that you want to see God reach through you? How do you tear down some of the barriers? Um, have you considered what barriers um, are in your way to minister to people in your life? What are the barriers to the people at your office for you to share about Christ? What are your barriers to your extended family? What are the barriers in your life that um, keep you from having effective ministry uh, to others or even influence in other people's lives? Um, it's love to remove barriers. It's love for you to be considering their perspective and how can you make it receivable. Even a, a lot of the book of Acts talks a lot about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, like when someone would give a, a prophecy or a word of knowledge or uh, pray for someone for healing. And, and, the, and these are really powerful um, aspects of ministry. However, what I have found being in Pentecostal circles is that a lot of times people don't think about how what they're saying or doing is being received by those around them. Um, Pentecostal churches have a tendency to get a bad reputation because they come across 
crossed, flighty, or, um, you know, you know, kind of like this, thus saith the Lord, and they speak in a totally different way than any other time in life and because they're speaking for God. And what happens is they end up creating barriers to people being able to hear what God is communicating. Um, and, and so I want to encourage us as we consider our own ministry, how do we tear down barriers rather than build up barriers? Um, and it's very important to do. You've got to look at what you're saying, what you're doing, how you're sharing, from the perspective of someone who um, might have a wound in their life or might have a prejudice in their life or might have um, a, a consciousness about some aspect. Um, why would I choose to not, um, you know, uh, go drink around this group of people? Um, I need to think about that. But I also, you know, because it might throw a stumbling block in front of somebody. But also there might be a time when I've got to like tear the barrier down and say, hey, I don't mind if you drink. I don't mind being in your presence. Um, and that opens up a door. You see, we need to think about things from the perspective of others. See, we have to temporarily let go of our preferences for the sake of other people. In fact, I want to read Paul writing to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23. It says, for though I am free of all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew. Poor Timothy got circumcised uh, probably at a moment he didn't really want to. That I might win the Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without the law as without the law, not being without the law toward God, but under law towards Christ, that I might win those who are without law. And to the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak." I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I may be a partaker of it with you. You see, it's simply love to lay your preferences aside for a moment that you might build a bridge to effectively influence someone else, especially influence them in the direction towards the acceptance and the love of Christ. It's about trying to remove barriers. And this was a significant thing that's going to shed light on how this ministry team is going to move forward through this dramatic day that we find in this chapter. Because they clearly are operating with sacrificial love, this mindset that others are first. So we're going to move to our second observation from Acts 16, but it's really the beginning of this day. It's a Sabbath day. And in this next observation, we're going to find that God reaches people where they are. God reaches people right where they're at. And there's going to be a few examples. And the first example we're going to find is this woman named Lydia. And Lydia is a wealthy businesswoman. Um, she's probably well thought of in town. Um, she deals in um, fine goods, purple goods, um, which was extremely rare, extremely costly. And this woman is a a, a, a businesswoman in this kind of market. And I want to read about her. So in uh, chapter, or chapter 16, verse 13, it says, And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatria, who worshipped God. 
The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. You see, God, through Paul, used a setting that worked for this businesswoman. Um, she, she was one who already had a respect towards God. She was one who already understood prayer, but she did not understand Jesus. She didn't hadn't come in contact with Jesus or this message of the gospel yet. And so when Paul presented um, the gospel to her, she was a responder and God used logic and a heart to impact Lydia. And she immediately said, come to my home. I would love to have you there. Tell me more. And so this is a, a neat example of God meeting Lydia in a way that she could understand and use Paul. Now, this is a very pleasant part of the day. Paul went out on the Sabbath, find a place to pray. The group of people pray down here and um, they uh, have a, a wonderful service and there is response and this happens. So that's the first part of the day. However, the day is about to change. And we're going to find as I move on from there that there's another example of someone coming um, in encounter with Christ. And we find that it goes south for Paul pretty quickly. And this next example is the demon-possessed slave girl. So let's keep reading. Verse 16 says this. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, probably in a mocking voice, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. She kept saying this over and over and over again. And this she did for many days, it says. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. So here we find this demon-possessed slave girl. She's going around. She's um, probably uh, in some ways attracted to the things of God, the things that are going on in Paul, and it manifests itself in a mocking tone, um, annoying Paul. And actually this went on for many days, but here on this Sabbath day, it comes to a head, and finally Paul is annoyed, and he finally, through the gift of the Holy Spirit, casts this demon out of this woman. Well, this is a, a very thing I would like for you to notice, is that I don't think Paul was seeking out this ministry. In fact, it's said that he was greatly annoyed at her, and yet he had to step up to the challenge and minister to her. Uh, there's no more mention of this girl. We do not know what it did to her in her life. We don't know if she went on to be a follower um, of, of Christ. We don't know if she joined the church. Um, we do know that she was released from the power of the enemy and this demon possession in her life because she could no longer do this fortune telling. She was no longer making money for her sla the slave owners. And so she is a changed person. And here's a thought. God met the slave girl where she was, not where Paul was. God used Paul. Paul was present there, but it wasn't what he wanted to do. He was greatly annoyed. Because God will meet people where they are using us and not because we want to or not because it's comfortable for us or it's according to our plan, but it was according to God's plan for this girl and he needed Paul to be ready. However, 
we're going to find that this next observation is challenging. Because this next observation is that God enables worship in our trials, and Paul is about to face a trial because of this work of ministry. Now, there's going to be one more example tied to point two, but we're not going to get there. We're going to do point three first, and then we'll look at this last example. So, observation three, God enables worship in our trials, and here's really where we're going to find that Paul has been equipped his ministry team has been equipped. There's been the circumcision that took place. There's been prayer. There's been um, an annoying ministry that took place to him. And we're going to find that this is all equipping him for this moment, literally, of being whipped. So what happens is Paul and this team deal with... Um, the slave owners, influential people being really annoyed that their slave girl is no longer demon-possessed and not making them any money. So he they stir up the crowd against Paul. So these are influential people, and now there's this mob that has turned against Paul and literally are having them hauled off to jail. It says, And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly troubled our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. This is a trial that Paul and Silas and the others did not sign up for. They... they in some ways had signed up, but they did not bring this on. They did not choose it. They did not sit on this day. How can I stir up the city? There was this girl that was bothering them continually. And finally, he has pity on the girl and there's a deliverance. And now the city is in an uproar because these men um, are annoyed and frustrated that their prophets are gone. This particular trial includes an unjust arrest based on lies and mob rule. Can you imagine being in that situation? Maybe you have been in a situation like that where you were falsely accused. People have turned against you. Things are happening against you, especially maybe for your faith. How challenging is that? And then it says here that this trial included many stripes. Now, when I think about getting beaten with rods and laying stripes on someone's back, it sounds like a day like I would never want. I, I don't know if imagery is coming to your head, but it says here that many stripes were laid upon them. When I think about something like that, I would like to think that I at least went through a, a, a trial, that I was at least found guilty but no, it was just immediately they were beaten and then thrown into prison. And then while they're in prison, it says here that there was no care for them. There was no caring of their wounds or anything. Just put them right into the inner prison and their feet were put in stocks. Now, can you imagine back 2,000 years ago, you are in the middle of a dungeon prison, probably no heat, and your feet are in stocks and you're bleeding because you have many stripes on your back. And you're in that situation. 
singing in worship would be challenging to muster in this situation. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being there and you and your buddy decide, let's start singing. Let's start worshiping God. Let's tell him how great he is. Let's, let's sing to him. And they start singing. Paul and Silas's worship brought about God's involvement in that moment. And there is this miraculous um, earthquake that takes place. Um, there was an earthquake that somehow magically decided to loosen the doors or the bars of the prison. It broke the chains that were on the ankles, but somehow the roof stayed intact. Somehow the walls were still intact. You see, God got involved in the middle of this trial. God and His Spirit responded to this worship moment, this moment when Paul and Silas have literally given it all. They didn't choose this, and they decide to worship, and the Holy Spirit shows up and, and miraculously breaks the chains. Now, I want to jump back now to this last part of observation two, where God reaches people right where they're at. Because right now, we have seen that there's this indifferent correction officer, this jailer, this guy who was given charge of these guys. And he, he, he didn't probably take his role very seriously in terms of, um, you know, taking care of these prisoners. He didn't clean up their wounds. They are still sitting there a bloody mess. And here they are put in stocks. Verse 27, let's read. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposed, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all of his family were baptized. Now, when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all of his household. So we find here that God saves this jailer through a um, two things. You've got this miraculous earthquake that took place and, and he was about to kill himself because he would believe, he did believe that the prisoners had escaped. He probably was threatened with his life. When they brought Paul and Silas there, they said, you make sure that they do not leave. That's why he put them in the inner dungeon. That's why he's got the feet in the stocks. And they probably said, if you lose these guys, you, your head's off. And so he was immediately did not want to face that. And so he, it was better for him to kill himself with a sword, to commit suicide than to be under that kind of rule. Well, when he saw that Paul and Silas did not leave, that none of the ministry team had left, Maybe the rest of the prisoners, I don't really know, but they were all there, it said. And Paul says, don't kill yourself. Do yourself no harm. We're still here. We haven't left. And I think that this unbelievable cooperation by Paul and Silas and the ministry team, it changed this guy's heart. 
It was an amazing grace. It was, there's something different about these guys. Whatever they have, they've been through this amazing beating. They've been put in the stocks. God has delivered them, and yet they chose to stay. It said something. There was something totally different in these guys. Now, God met this jailer right where he was at. He, he, he spoke in an amazing language. And if I'm Paul and Silas and I'm sitting there beaten, it would be really difficult for me to say, praise the Lord, you minister to that guy, however he needed it, and it's a bunch of stripes on my back to do it. It's hard to see things that way. But I'll bet you Paul and Silas did see things that way. This guy invites Paul and Silas. All of a sudden, it didn't matter if he was going to get killed. All of a sudden... Jesus meant more to them. All of a sudden, committing his life to Christ meant more to him. Takes him, takes Paul and Silas and the prisoners back to his own home and begins to let him talk. And, and it ends with a water baptism service. What a day. I want for us to consider this day. Paul wakes up to a fresh day on the Sabbath, goes for worship and prayer, ministers to a high-class group of people like Lydia, and there's amazing results. People are giving their heart to Christ. Then they're leaving service and they're harassed by this demon-possessed girl. Annoyed, they cast the demon out of the girl. I mean, already it's a pretty big day of ministry. People have gotten saved. The demon-possessed girl has been delivered. Well, all of a sudden there's uproar. And now there's mob rule that wants your head. The magistrates, all of a sudden there's people in charge that are aware of the whole situation. And they rush right to judgment. And the guys are beaten. Stripes on their back. They're a bloody mess. They're thrown into a dungeon that day in the stocks and they're singing praises to God. Can you imagine? And now all of a sudden an earthquake takes place and the, and the chains break free. The door is wide open and there's a guy about to commit suicide right in front of you. And they said, don't, don't do that. And it ends with them having water baptism at the guy's house. It's an amazing day of ministry. And you know what? God took them through crazy situation to meet each and every one of these people right where they're at. Because ministry is about those who God is trying to reach. And friends, it might be through your discomfort. So the question is, are you equipped to be whipped? Are you equipped to go through challenges and difficulties, even extreme situations that God might use you? What barriers are there currently in your way for you to minister effectively? One of the biggest barriers is that it's always got to be done my way. You know what? We can't reach anybody if it's always got to be done my way. If, if we don't consider God's way, if we don't consider the needs of those around us and what they need, we won't do anything for God on this earth. But as soon as we lay down our will, we lay down our pride, we lay down our comforts and say, God, not my will, but your will be done. I must decrease so that you must increase. We might see God do something pretty amazing. Now, I'm not saying it's fun to get whipped. I'm not saying you should sign up for it. But we've got to be ready to let God equip us, even if that means he's getting us ready to be whipped. And more than likely, it's what it will mean. Does this help you see your trial any differently? Does this help you at least pray and say, Lord, help me to see how you are preparing me for ministry for somebody else? How am I getting ready? You see, Timothy was willing to be circumcised for the sake of somebody else. He was willing to say, Lord, I want to be equipped. 
that I might do something effective for somebody else. He put himself on the line there. This message is all about love. It's all about God's will over our will. And you might need to begin to view your life trial through those lenses for you to get any kind of balance as to why you're going through them. Would you pray with me? May we pray that God would show us how these trials are being used for the sake of somebody else. Lord, there are people here that are suffering and struggling and having a challenge because of trials in their life. And Lord, up to this point, maybe they've only been viewing it from their own perspective and their own difficulty and their own pain. I pray today that you would give them the perspective of what you are trying to do in their life for the sake of somebody else. Lord, how are you equipping them to be whipped that someone else might be saved? Lord God, I just pray that you would use us for your sake in our community and our sphere of influence. And Lord, give us the perspective of why we're going through what we're going through. Help us to see it from your perspective and help me to also see it from the perspective of those you're calling me to. May the barriers that are currently in the way of my words, of my ministry, of my influence, the things that are in the way be tore down through love, through obedience to you, through the anointing of your Holy Spirit. God, let these barriers come down in Jesus' name.